Well met, friends. I'm Steph Midlock. And I'm Jude Vays. Welcome to Atherbeth, a podcast exploring the ancient aquatic ambitions of Tolkien's Legendarium. Uh, what's up, dude? Do we have any corrections culs attack from last time? No, I do not believe we do. I think everyone was in too much of a uh, Valentine's Day candy coma to be coming back around and calling us on our bullshit. <laughs> Perfect. That's just how I like everybody. Thank you for that. <laughs> in a in a sugar-induced days so they can't uh, check our facts just just happily happily in a state of bliss and uh yeah not really listening to anything i say that's how i like people <laughs> fair enough great <laughs> oh brother well before we we talk about the episode i think we wanted to mention uh something that's happening on kickstarter right jude that's correct if you listen to our last episode we took a moment to call out that friend of the show richard Kreutzlandry's game Descent into Midnight was about to start kickstarting. Well, they have blown through their initial funding goal and a couple of stretch goals now, and they are doing great. So we wanted to remind you that if you have not already backed the game and you are interested at all in tabletop RPGs, aquatic weird stuff, psychic things, worlds never touched by humans, community, dreams, fish horror, all those things, any of those things, any combination thereof, uh, we highly recommend that you check out this game. Uh, I will put all of their social links in the show notes, but you can find them on Twitter at DimRPG, D-I-M-R-P-G, or on the web at DescentIntoMidnight.com. Richard and his co-creators, Rich Howard and Taylor LaBreche, are three of the absolute sweetest humans on the planet. Yeah, we love uh, those guys. On any planet, watery or earthy. <laughs> and um, I have played Dim with all of them, and they are just the sweetest, and you could not ask for better people to succeed. So uh, we're super excited that this Kickstarter is doing so well, and uh, we encourage you to check it out. Yeah, it's a really wonderful game. It's beautifully written. It's gorgeously illustrated. It's going to be so beautiful um, in hardback. So you got to get in on it now. I believe their Kickstarter ends March 15th, so there are a couple more days to check that out. Definitely check out their Twitter, because they are very active on their Twitter. It's at D-I-M-R-P-G. And they're the best. And their website is, what is it? Descentintomidnight.com. Yeah, yeah. That's a very easy to remember website. I'm, I didn't yep. remember it. But anyway, congratulations, guys. We're so excited for you. And I can't wait to have this in my hands. Same. Yay. Well, we've got many dreamy paths to tread. So let's begin. Alright, so what are we talking about this week? We are talking about one of two of Tolkien's lesser known pieces, one of which I really like and one of which I don't really like, which is <laughs> a little bit buckwild because they're basically the same story in a lot of ways. Um, wow. We're talking about The Lost Road and the Notion Club papers. Woo, yeah. For the longest time, I could not remember the term Notion Club. I kept calling it like Panda Club or like something other club or like Panama Papers. I don't know. I couldn't remember. So I'm (laughs) I'm very sorry. Uh, And I have an embarrassing thing to say later, but I'm going to save it for later, I guess. Yeah. So let's start with a little bit of background on what these pieces are. There's a really fun story that goes along with these pieces. This is a story that Tolkien himself told 
enough times that it may or may not, the degree to which it's apocryphal is, is open for debate. <laughs> but in 1936, 1937, Tolkien and Lewis are out at the bar. They're out at the pub and they're complaining that there aren't enough stories of the kind that we like. Mm. Uh, that is to say fantasy and science fiction. So they flip a coin and Lewis gets space travel and Tolkien gets time travel. Okay. So off they go, and they start writing their respective assignments. A couple years later, Lewis publishes his his assignment. This is a book called Out of the Silent Planet, yeah. which is the start of the Space Trilogy, which is a bananas trilogy. <laughs> um, they're a thing. Um, yeah, the degree to which I recommend them is variable, but... They're, the first one is worth reading for no other reason than because of its relationship to Tolkien with regards to this coin flip and the fact that according to everyone who ever met Tolkien, the protagonist of Out of the Silent Planet is an absolutely shameless, shameless depiction of Tolkien. Really? Oh my gosh. Yes. The protagonist is named Elwin Ransom. Okay. And he is a professor of philology. Oh, okay. Okay, and similar, similar. He apparently, down to some of his mannerisms, is is supposed to be a Lewis-like winking at Tolkien. Oh, boy. What do you think Tolkien thought of that? I'm sure he was terribly flattered and thought it was fine. <laughs> oh, um, that's nice. That's nice. I'm only being slightly sarcastic. I don't think Tolkien probably was entirely flattered by it, but... <laughs> Um, Tolkien seems just a little, my impression of Tolkien was that he was just a little bit crotchety enough to not appreciate being depicted in a, in, in a story like mm, that. Boy. But, uh, Tolkien, on the other hand, uh, never published his, the results of his, uh, efforts. Um, he made two attempts at it and we're going to, that's what we're talking about cool. today. That's the Lost Road and the Notion Club Papers. Nice. Typical of Tolkien, both attempts started, you know, theoretically he was doing time travel, but both of them... Almost immediately, he connected to Middle Earth. Not not almost immediately. He immediately connected them to Middle Earth. The first one, The Lost Road, he started writing pretty much right away. And The Lost Road is much shorter. It's only four chapters mm -hmm. uh, and deals with pre-incarnation and dreams and languages. All, both of them do, both The Lost Road and uh, The Notion Club Papers. Specifically, what both of them essentially deal with, and this is like the super broad strokes description, they both deal with people who dream about the fall of Numenor and have visions of living in Numenor and recovering pieces of the languages of Numenor mm. via dreams. And that's about as much as they share. Okay. How that sort of general idea is executed varies wildly between the two pieces. <laughs> as I said, the, the Lost Road is much shorter. There's two chapters that are done in the modern day, air quotes, and two chapters that are set in Numenor. Uh, and that's as far as it ever got. Whereas the Notion Club papers, there's about 120 pages and it gets a fair ways in and he gets things kind of rolling before he abandoned it. So let's talk a little bit about each one. Sure. Yeah. Tell me about them. Between the two, The Lost Road is my favorite. Okay. So we're going to talk, we'll talk about The Lost Road sure. first. You know what's so interesting? Between the two, I like the Notion Club papers more. That doesn't surprise really? me. Really? I don't, yeah, I just like no. it. Yeah, so we'll, we can talk about that so, later. But yeah, it's kind of interesting that we flip-flopped yeah. on that. The Lost Road is about 
a father and son. It starts out talking about a father and son, and the son is having dreams of languages. And the story is basically about pairs of fathers and sons whose names reference elves and bliss. And it goes it was going to go back and back through time and show that these men were eventually descended from Alandil and Amandil, the loyal tribe from Numenor, hmm. who did not fall in Numenor. In in the Akalabeth, if you recall in the Akalabeth, there were the, the one family or the one clan in Numenor that did not betray the elves. Right, because the whole thing was like, the elves are like, you cannot come to Valinor. We gave you this beautiful island. You got to stay there and don't come west. And then that Al Farazan chortlehead was like, fuck you guys. I'm, you know, well, he had, okay, he had somebody whispering in his ear, wink, wink, but he was like, I'm doing it. I'm going west. And then they were like, no, we're fucking mad at you now. But this whole time there was like that one family who was like, no, that's cool. We're going to totally listen to the Valar and we're not going to do that. We're going to escape on boats. Fuck you guys. Yep. Is that basically exactly. it? <laughs> yeah. So what it would have done is it would have traced the line of Amandil and Elendil through time, through various generations, through the Anglo-Saxons, through Eadwin and Elfwin uh, in the Anglo-Saxon era, and Alduin and Alboin in the Lombardic, to the modern day era with Edwin and Elwin. Their names all connecting back through these idea of bliss friend and elf friend back to Numenor. Mm. In the modern day, they are recovering the language and it's it, it, there. He's having dreams of the language and dreams of the downfall of Numenor. Okay. But it never got that far. It was, it's very short. There's like two chapters about Edwin and all and Elwin and then two chapters uh, set in Numenor. Yeah. And it's kind of weird because it's like they, sort of become those Numenorean guys. Yeah, he like dreams back into them. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure the Numenorean guy was like, Elendil was like, yeah, you can come back. Sure, come on back, dude. And then he was like, okay, I'm going to come on back. And then he just was him, right? Yeah, it's very much a case of like, pre-incarnation is very much like the right word. Like it's a case of like time travel through past lives kind of a situation. It's not just like dreaming of a past life. Mm -hmm. It's like time travel via past lives. It's a very unusual frame. Mm -hmm. I really love The Lost Road because it's very somber and kind of morose. The relationship between the father and the son is really kind of peaceful and quiet and sad Mm -hmm. at the same time. Everything about it is very sort of just restrained and peaceful. And I don't know. I just find the piece very weird and quiet and a little bit sad. And um, I like like that about it. Mm. Um, On the other hand, we have the Notion Club papers. (laughs) So let's talk a little. Why don't you, since you like the Notion Club papers, why don't you want to talk a little bit about what the deal with the Notion Club papers is? Yeah. So the Notion Club papers. And okay, please correct me if I'm wrong. Because, you know, I probably mm-hmm. will be. But basically, it's another time travel story. It is in two parts. The Notion Club is a club of dudes at Oxford, okay? And um, Verilyn Flieger and a lot of other people are like, the Notion Club is the Inklings, right? Which is Tolkien and C.S. Lewis's fancy club of smart guys who used to sit around at the Eagle and Child pub, right? And very various meeting places and like talk about stuff and soliloquize and blah, 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 right? That was their whole thing, the Inklings, right? Yeah, I don't think it's controversial at all to say that that is what's going right. on. Uh, 
to have a notion, to have an inkling. Okay, so that is my embarrassing realization that I said earlier. So this whole, literally this whole time we've been doing this podcast, I thought the inkling... Oh my god, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I was like under the impression that the that the word inkling was like, you know, like someone, like a small person who did stuff with ink. I didn't even think about the word like to have an <laughs> inkling until I read the Notion Club papers and I was like, oh no, you dumbass. Oh, <laughs> so embarrassing. Okay, everyone needs to keep my secret that that was really stupid. But okay, I'm with you now. Yeah, so anyway, so this story is in two parts. The first, it's basically this group of six dudes who get together and talk about stuff. And then there's also other dudes in the background. But there's like, wait, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, six. <laughs> Looking at my notes. There's six kind of main dudes who are our main players. And the first part, we hear from a guy named Michael Rammer, who is like into Celtic languages and antiquities. And he goes through this whole big long spiel about lucid dreaming. And he talks about how he believes it's basically like they talk a little bit about space travel. And one of the guys is like, I think space travel's stupid because the m machines that they describe could never be a thing. And this is when Rammer is like, ah, but no, no, you can go back through your dreams. All you have to do, like, it's actually kind of interesting. It's a big, long philosophical thing that I actually thought was pretty interesting. They do a lot of like arguing and yelling at each other and kind of throwing shade, which I really liked. Um, mm -hmm. That's part of the reason why I liked it, dude. I don't know about you. I thought that part was interesting, but that's actually why I don't. It's not that I dislike the Notion Club paper so much as it's it's like to me the the Lost Road is like a really somber tone piece and the Notion Club papers is like the same idea yeah. set in a bar. <laughs> it totally is. And I just I can't get in I can't get on board like it I find it just a little unsettling. I think if I had right. never read I think it's supposed to be. I think if I had yeah, I think yeah. if I had never read the Lost Road, I would like the Notion Club papers a lot more. Sure. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, so Ramner's whole thing is like, there's no distance between dreams and waking. There's only like an increase or a decrease of like your concentration of them. And he was all about like, he said, you know, I've never actually been anywhere like physically, but I've been to all these really cool places like off world. And he names like all these crazy places that have names like Arembu and Elor and all these like and this weird waterfall that he goes on about for a while. He's like really into this waterfall for a while. And he, he just it's like many pages of him kind of defending himself to the rest of the club where they're like, that sounds dumb. And he's like, no, no, it's a thing. And the more you work on it, the more you can remember these kind of memories that come from your dreams so it's all yeah again lucid dreaming that whole thing now i'm gonna just put out one hot take about the name rammer so you know how tolkien's really into like little winks and nods with his names he kind of does that a few yeah. times someone else i mean listen i haven't read everything about the notion club papers but to me the name rammer is like kind of weird apparently he's like hungarian but apparently okay. in the uk follow me here apparently in the uk there's this phrase ram the charge home, um, which basically means to make something extremely clear, especially through a forceful repetition. And like for you would say, you know, it's like, I'm going to ram it home that we need to do this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was kind of wondering if maybe that was a play on the name Rammer because he's kind of like forcing this idea down your throat a little bit in the first part. That's just me having a hot take. 
Anyway, the second part of this is really the story. This is kind of the second part is when the time travel really starts taking place. And this is where we're going to follow two guys named Lodham and Jeremy. And basically there's like a terrible, crazy storm at Oxford. And at the same time, it's sort of in Numenor. And it's like these two guys who were in the Notion Club all of a sudden sort of become avatars for these Numenorian guys. And they start calling each other by these goofy names. Jeremy becomes... Abrazan and Lodham becomes Nimruzir, which is just wonderful and silly. And yeah. I don't know. The whole thing is kind of goofy, but they go back, they like use lucid dreaming to like try and find information to help them deal with this problem. And it sort of skews the line between, you know, what's happening now in Oxford and what's happening in Numenor. The really interesting thing about the Notion Papers is the framing device, though, because they have these sort of layers of framing devices where instead of a kind of a third person narrative, um, like our friends in the Lost Road, the Notion Club papers are sort of like couched in these weird they're basically like modern day englishmen who like found these bunch of old papers in the bottom of a thing and the and there were these meetings from the 1980s um so the best part for me is like you have to think about these Notion Club paper, like these meetings, these minutes of these meetings are being taken by dudes from the late 80s. So like, I'm thinking there's the feathered hair and there's like neon track suits, mm-hmm. right, dude? Well, yeah, that's, I agree that that's my favorite part of the Notion Club papers is the framing device. Yeah. The fact that they're, although maybe not the feathered hair part, but I do <laughs> love the framing device. So the frame for the Notion Club papers. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. Is that the Notion Club papers themselves are a bunch of minutes from the Notion Club at itself so somebody's taking minutes when they're fucking about these arguments and they are found in like what like a garbage bag or something yeah in in the library in 2012 the distant future the distant future (laughs) they are then published by someone named mr green Mm -hmm. in the in 2012 and then two two other scholars Later, two other dudes later do a second edition. And that's what you're reading when you read the Notion Club papers is this second edition. But this is all hooey because this is all Tolkien made this up. But it kind of lends this air of like, ooh, this is real. Like, is this a real thing? Ooh, okay. Yeah. That line. Well, what I like especially is there's a, there's uh, like footnotes in the notes to the second edition. Yes. That are like he may have falsified the. They may have like obscured the date in which they in which these events took place in order to to hide where it actually happened and it may have actually happened in the forties. Yeah, right. Like, We're not really sure what's happening with time. Like, so they 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 do all kinds of weird stuff. I was gonna save this for the biography part, but I'm gonna do it here because I don't give a sure, fuck. Sure, um, do it. <laughs> so one of the wild things about this is in the Notion Club papers, Tolkien predicts within the space of a couple of months, the great storm of 1987 in the UK. Wait, really? Yeah. No, that's not a thing. Really? In the Notion Club papers, he he mentions a great storm occurring in 1987 in September. Okay. Or January. Mm -hmm. And it actually happened in 1987 in October. He was only off by a space of a couple of months. No, that's crazy, Mm -hmm. dude. Well, it gets weirder. Um, Tolkien, for his entire life, had nightmares about a deluge being drowned by an enormous, uh, like, apocalyptic wave. 
his whole life had this dream. Um, and he didn't know his parents very well. You know, as we know, he uh, didn't know his father and his mother died when he was very young. So he didn't know where he got this dream from. You know, he didn't really have, it couldn't have been something from his parents and he didn't have any recollection of it of it coming from, you know, like a story or anything like that. So he had no idea where this came from. And it, it he found out much later in life, like when his children were adults, that his son Michael also, for his entire life, had been having this dream of this apocalyptic wave, wow. like drowning wave, hmm. which is fucking weird. It is weird. And, uh, but he, it's part, it, that wave features in the story, uh, is another thing that he put in. It's in Lost Road, and I believe it's featured less prominently in the Notion Club papers. I mean, the whole idea of the wave, I mean, the Atlantis wave is part of Notion Club papers, but that idea of like this drowning wave is is prominent in the Lost Road. Yeah, you know, if I can jump in, Mm -hmm. please. there is um, a really excellent chapter written by Vera Lynn Flieger called The Lost Road and the Notion Club papers, myth, history, and time travel. Um, And that's found in the companion to J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, which is edited by Stuart D. Lee. And in this chapter, it's really great, kind of summarizes all these things but Flieger note actually calls this out this idea of this like weird shared dream of this water and this drowning that Jude's talking about apparently J.R.R. Tolkien was in letter number 213 which was written to W.H. Auden he kind of talks about this a little bit and he he mentions um I guess in in this letter and then also in letter 445 that Michael shares this like dream, this weird dream. And he does sort of wonder if maybe like he didn't, he actually said like, oh, I wonder, I didn't know my parents, but like maybe there's a good chance that they also shared it too. And this idea, Flieger points out that this idea of like three generations of fathers and sons sort of sharing this like weird dream state kind of speaks directly to what's going on in both the Lost Road and the Notion Club paper. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. It was an idea he really, that was something that was personal yeah. to him. It wasn't that he injected into this story for yeah. sure. Creepy. What is he, a yeah. wizard or something? Jeez. Predicted floods. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the general gist of what's, of what is going on with these. Um, so yeah, just to kind of piggyback on some of these biographical elements, um, this is a big point in Verilyn Flieger's uh, essay, and she talks about you know the Notion Club itself, as we sort of mentioned, is modeled after Tolkien's Oxford Club, the Inklings, and she mentions that in some of the early draft, and I think this is notes uh, from. Christopher Tolkien, but then mm-hmm. in some of these early drafts, Tolkien was actually assigning some of these like identities to the different inklings. So, for example, yeah. um, the club's reporter in the Notion Club papers is a man uh, named Guildford, and while the identity changed a few times, I think the last one that Tolkien kind of settled on was being C.S. Lewis. So that's kind of interesting, right? He was putting his own friends in yeah. there. Well, and wasn't Rammer Lewis and then himself and then someone else at various points Yeah, like he changed well? him around a little bit for sure. But it's cool that he was yeah. sort of doing like fr- fun friend fiction <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another really cool thing that uh, Miss Flieger points out is that the autobiographical nature of the names is really interesting. So again, Jude sort of mentioned that they use in, bo- in both the Notion Club papers and in the Lost Road, they use the name Elfwine, meaning elf friend, and Edwine, meaning bliss friend. And 
also, this is in The Lost Road. There's also another character who sort of dies pretty early, but the original father is named Oswin, and he doesn't really do anything except be like, oh, I'm old and I died. But his name uh, is Anglo-Saxon for Godfriend. So we've got these three sort of friends, Godfriend, Elf Friend, Bliss Friend. We find that also happening in the Notion Club papers. But what's really cool that Fleeker points out is that Tolkien's own family had this going on. I don't know if you know anything about Tolkien's family, but both his father... Arthur uh, himself and all four of his children all share the same middle name of Ruel, which is the Hebrew name meaning friend or godfriend. Um, so Fairland Fleeker thinks that maybe this use of friend or godfriend or elf friend from grandfather to father to son is like very uh, interesting and like it's it's she says uh, this she says specifically it's too striking to be accidental so i thought that was kind of cool no i think it's a really interesting point there's a lot of things like that with the notion club paper where it's i think there's obviously he's injecting a lot of his a lot of personal biographical stuff into it i i would not hazard to to guess why Mm. but I, i i do think it's really interesting that there's an unusual amount of his personal stuff yeah in in the Lost Road and the Notion Club There's papers. There's even one more that's kind of cool. So in the Notion Club papers, the character of Lodham, which is one of the ones who like becomes an avatar for Numenor, talks about his own father, which was this dude named Edwin. And Edwin was like this mariner guy, and he, he basically was like sort of lost at sea, but it wasn't it wasn't like his ship sank. He was just kind of gone. It's kind of weird. Apparently, this Edwin dude was the source of this like scrap of paper that had this fancy Numenorean script on it. And this translation of, is it Aduniac or Aduniac? I can't, I don't know how to say it. I never can remember. I know, me neither, so whatever. I say Aduniac. Aduniac. So this sort of like Aduniac telling of the fall of Numenor was written by a guy called, quote unquote, the old Professor Rashbold of Penbrook. And Flieger points out that Tolkien himself, um, uh, when you translate Tolkien into like a German form of the name, the word Toll means rash or foolhardy, and Kuhn means keen, eager, or bold. So rash bold is <laughs> Tolkien, and then also That's I know Flieger points out that Tolkien was affiliated with Pembroke College at Oxford during his very early days, his first teaching uh, position. So rash bold at Pembroke makes perfect sense that it's Tolkien. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Give yourself a cameo. It's awesome. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about with this one is Flieger talks a little bit about the mythology for England mm. point. And I think that's really cool. And it's my favorite part of the Lost Road to the Notion Club paper. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, oh, great. Yeah, because it's a wonderful connection to the legendarium. Yeah. It's arguable that the reason why Tolkien liked this story and came back to it twice, and also why he stopped writing it, Mm. is that he wanted to link very, very early on in his writing project, in the very earliest days, 1917, 1918, Tolkien wanted to create a mythology for England. Mm. That was one of the very earliest, like, motivations for creating Middle-earth. So here he is, 20 years later, the framing devices that he's using for these are both very clearly intended to connect via Numenor his world to ours. Ooh, cool, cool, cool. So like in Lost Road, it's via lines of descent. Mm. And in Notion Club papers, it's via this 
scholarly transmission, mm. for lack of another word, of these stories and papers being passed down from mariners to ancient peoples into England, where they become stories, where they are recovered by scholars, and now understood via this, this pre-incarnation dreaming situation. But the general idea with both of these is to connect his world to England and to establish his myths as the source of England's mythology. And I think that's really cool. But I think it's interesting that that's why he writes these, but then it's also why he stops writing them, because he finds better ways to do it. Mm. And I think he finds that they're inelegant ways of doing it, too. Mm. Flieger makes a really... makes a couple of points in her piece that I agree with that he makes comments in a couple of letters and that it became too clunky. He thought that they were uh, over complex ways of d- making this connection. Mm. Arguably, I think I think it's funny to me that he thinks that the Notion Club papers is the more is is less complicated than the Lost Road for <laughs> connecting the two. Um <laughs> He he seemed to not really like the the Lost Road though, you know. Like, what, isn't there that story? Flieger Flieger says like that he pub, he like apologized to his publisher for it later and hoped he would like forget about it. No, he really didn't like the Lost Road. Yeah. Aw, buddy. So eventually, he would replace the the connection, the the mythological connection with the Red Book of Westmark. Ooh, cool! And can you just tell our listeners what that is in case they don't remember? Basically, the idea that the Silmarillion, the the Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings is basically Bilbo's red book. Bilbo is writing a book in the Lord of the Rings that is all of his tales he's learned in Rivendell and his own stories that he's added to it. And that book gets passed down and eventually ends up in our world. So cool. Yeah, it like goes to Frodo and then to Sam and then it goes to like a brandy buck and then they bring it to like Minas Tirith and it's there for a while and then somehow it ends up in England. It's so cool. Well, supposedly there was going to be, and this is one of the things, maybe the one thing about the Silmarillion, the the editing of the Silmarillion that I don't agree with is there was supposed to be a framing device on the Silmarillion that talked about how it was there was supposed to be a sailor that sailed to Valinor and reached its shores and was given the red book and sailed back in an Anglo-Saxon sailor I think. Oh cool. And that is where the like the tales of the Silmarillion came from and then he translated it into like old old English and that's where like the Silmarillion came from. It's a, a a modern English translation of an old English translation of the Quenya of Bilbo's Quenya. I love that. That's so cool. But he thought that it was over comp- he thought it was too complicated or confusing, so he took it sure. out. Um so here's why I don't like that decision. Okay. The Silmarillion at a bare minimum, even if you take out the framing device of like it's a translation of a translation of a translation <laughs> that a sailor took and blah blah blah. Even if you just present it as the Red Book of Westmark, the Silmarillion is, in that context, is the tales of the elves as heard by Bilbo or as told to Bilbo, mm-hmm. right? Sure. I'll, I'll, yep. Unreliable narrator. Oh, <laughs> Bilbo? No. No, the elves. Oh, the elves. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see Even, what you're saying. Like, okay. 
let's put aside the idea that Bilbo didn't hear it. Let's assume that Bilbo writes down everything here is perfectly. And I think okay. that's fine. Let's assume that he, he writes it all down perfectly. But the elves, the stuff that we read in the Silmarillion is effectively the elf. It's an elven document. It, it, it is of elven provenance and it depicts their worldview even if the, the stuff said by the Valar is entirely true, as far as the elves know, it's what the Valinor, it's what it's what the Valar told the elves. It is specific to their point of view and their theology and their their worldview and their interpretation. Mm. So it's biased. It is it's not inherently biased. Yeah, yeah, like. A lot of the, the way that the Silmarillion is presented, though, the Aina Lindala is often taken as like a writ, as like an actual, like, this is actually how the world was created. But that's not what it is. That's the Valar talking to the elves. It's the elves telling a story. It's the Valar telling a story to the elves so they can understand how they created the world. Wow. Which is kind of mind blowing. Like yeah. that really changes the context for that for for those stories when you consider that it's the Valar talking to the elves talking to Bilbo. <laughs> so, yeah, it kind of makes you go like, okay, was that really true? I mean, well, I think you can assume that it's all true. Mm-hmm. You just have to take it in the context of like a good example is the the humans are the aftercomers and blah 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 and. Like the whole thing where you really hate how it talks about the way humans are depicted. Oh, the choice. With the choice and Blech. stuff. That's because it's all written from the hu- from an elven point of That's view. That's true. So maybe the reason, you That's know. That's true. Maybe, that makes sense. So they're like, oh, you, know, you the guys elves- got the good end of the stick, blah bloody blah But like, maybe, that's your yeah. point of view, elven guys, the guys who can live forever. Yeah. Because the way that the humans are talked about is entirely consistent with, like, Finrod's depiction, Finrod's understanding of human death in the Athrobath. Mm. Oh. Like, Andreth would have read the Silmarillion and been like, eh, Yeah! Oh, man, I feel very close to her, I have to tell you. <laughs> yeah. So it's a... Uh, it puts the, the document in a weird light. And to get back, we have wandered way off the road here a little uh, bit. Down the, but do we get, get lost on the lost ends? Whatever. Yeah. To get to the point, framing devices are important. They place the document in the context that it it, that it's intended, Mm -hmm. and this document is the Silmarillion was never intended to be a an authoritative document. It has a it has a a place, and uh, by taking out the frame, you remove it from its from its context, and you remove any. You, you you lose the ability to understand its authenticity and its authority. So Yeah, and so anyway. it, drawing that line then through something like the Notion Club papers, if you were to lose the, the, the well, so first, I, can you yeah. talk about that? Like how would that change our reading of it then? Well, so with the Notion Club papers, what's with the frames on the Notion Club papers, I think what he was experimenting with is how do I connect? He was looking for a way to connect his mythology to England. And what he settled on was what the the frame that the Silmarillion should have had, which was this book that is eventually handed down, these tales of stories that would eventually have connected via a sort of a much looser connection than what we had. Because think, look how closely it started with, it's, it's like a bell yeah. curve. It starts out with a line of descent mm. 
that is recovered via dreams. And then the second version is a line of descent that is understood via this incredibly complex series of sailors and <laughs> dropped notes and scholarly papers and bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> And then the last version is that, yes, like England is, the line of descent is there, but it's, it's nobody knows about it except for this one Anglo-Saxon sailor who apparently accidentally sailed to Valinor and brings back a book that sits on a shelf moldering for a while until somebody translates it from Old, old English into English and publishes it, as, publishes it as the Silmarillion and the Lord of the mm. Rings. That's really interesting. So I think it's interesting that he was experimenting in these two things with different sort of v ways of connecting that mythology. There's a really good line in this piece. Uh, we'll, and we'll put the link for this, but there's a really good line in this piece. The papers may be a failed or at least abortive attempt, but they are valuable as much for what they suggest as what they do not accomplish. It is Tolkien's reach, not his grasp, that serious students of his work should pay attention to here. Yeah, that's cool. Um, that's from yeah, Fleeker's the, piece, it's, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's what Tolkien is trying to do here with the connection to Middle-earth and with the construction of the Numenor myths that is really valuable with um, the Notion Club papers. Like so much of the unpublished stuff, it's looking at the development of these ideas and where he's, what he's reaching for that is really valuable to the student of Tolkien, less than what did he complete and what did he finish. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. And I think um, Flieger makes the point that other projects were coming up too. He was writing The Hobbit. The Hobbit came out in 1937, right, in September or something. So that was sort of right at the same time as he was doing The Lost Road. And um, yep. you can see how you could easily want to shelf some of these like really big head-scratching things um, for other projects. Yeah. You said... Uh, when you know, I know you've taken some classes at Mythgard, um, which is mm. uh, a wonderful uh, educational. I spot. took a class with Dr. Flieger. Did you fact. really? That's amazing. Well, so did you guys cover this in in Dr. Flieger's class or in another class? Uh, briefly, yeah, I took a class on the world of Middle Earth uh, with Dr. Flieger, and we talked a little bit about the the Lost Road and the Notion Notion Club papers in the context of its framing devices, wow, actually. Wow, cool. That's yeah. fantastic. Uh, quick shout out for Mythgard. Please. Um, just, just go fucking take some classes there if you're interested in, in pursuing the scholarly side of uh, Tolkien studies, if you're looking to get f legit for yes. it. You can actually take the class that I took with Dr. Flieger. They do a thing where you can buy the lectures that she gave and you can watch the lectures on your own time uh, and just appreciate them, which you should, because she's a very good lecturer. Um, and then what they also do is periodically they will cycle lectures back in. So they will, um, you watch the lectures on your own time and then they have uh, adjunct, not adjunct, but like um, whatever. They have <laughs> students get together with um, discussion groups mm. and you write papers and you do homework and you meet with, um, with, with, teachers to like go over the go over the papers and stuff so the lecture is not live but you still work with other students and you still have 
teachers that you meet with to go over papers and homework and assignments and stuff like that. And if the thought of um, homework scares you like it does for me, um, what's really nice, I believe what's really nice about Mythgard is, you know, you can also, there are different packages and you can take them as just sort of like a part, you know, you're there, you don't actually have to do that extra stuff if you don't want to, so that you can kind of hang in the back if you want to, too, which is cool. Yeah, you, like I said, you can just buy the lectures and just watch the lectures, or you can even do the same for the live classes. You can just watch the uh, a live class. You can pay to just observe the lectures on the live class. That's cool. So. I love that. That's so great. What a wonderful source. There is so much in this world um, of Tolkien scholarship. It's actually kind of mind-blowing, and I think that so this is our 20th episode. If we went back for when you originally asked me if I would do this podcast, if I had any idea that all this was out here, I would never have done this podcast because there's a lot smarter <laughs> people than me to do it. Um, but it's wonderful that all this stuff is available uh, to you. Um, so yeah, check it out, guys. You got to. Can I tell you what my favorite line in the Notion Club papers is? Please do. Okay, cool. So it's in the part. It's in part one where we're talking with that Rammer guy. Um, it might be Raymer. I don't know, but it, uh, it seems weird, so I'm going to call him Rammer. But um, I don't know. He's going on about meteorites. Oh, my God. There was a lot of it that I was like, I don't know. Uh, you're losing me, buddy. Yeah, it's it's a little bananas. Right? It's pretty crazy. But at one point he says, I was awake in bed and I fell wide asleep. And I just love that. Such a great, I fell wide asleep. I'm like really into that. It's very cool. Yep. Yeah, so I mean, these are these are fascinating. Um, the Lost Road, as I said, the Lost Road did not grab me uh, the way that the parts of the Notion Club papers did. Um, but definitely, you know, what's so funny about the Notion Club papers too? You know, I know that the Lost Road was not finished, and the Notion Club papers probably weren't either. Uh, we know that Tolkien left lots of little like hints about how he would have finished it if he were to finish it, um, but never did. But it's so weird because. Both parts of this, like part one and part two, just stop. They're both like, so in the first one, Rammer's like, oh, okay, uh, I gotta go to bed. And everyone's like, oh, okay, I guess we're done. And then in the second part, I think like, that's exactly what Lodham does. He's just like, and I'm finished talking to you now. Goodbye. And you're just sort of left like on this like precipice cliffhanger Mm -hmm. moment. And it's like, give me more, man. Come on. You're killing me. Yeah. No, Who knows what could have been done had he gotten back to it, he being Tolkien. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yep. Well, I'm glad that you brought no, this to my attention, Jude. This definitely is not something I would have read had you not asked me to. So that's good. Reading is good. Yeah, I'm glad that you appreciated it. I don't know that you necessarily enjoyed it, but I'm glad that you appreciated it. <laughs> well, it didn't it. have any horses in it, so uh, you're not going to get a full participation award from me this <laughs> week. But no, I, I'm just kidding. It was it was awesome. Thank you. And you really helped... Uh, uh, kind of make it clear to me why it's it why it's important and um and that it even though they're kind of lesser known they really should be kind of more out in the forefront because they are formative to tolkien's legendarium so thank you The road may go ever on and on, but this episode is over. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes as it helps increase our visibility. You can find us on the web at www.podcast.atherbeth.com. 
You can find the show on Twitter at Athrobeth underscore cast. I can be found at Aramidic Jude. Steph can be found at the North Four. Title music is Lord of the Devil Rings by Pony Music, courtesy of Pond5. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Oh, no. Oh, no. Say that again. I stepped on you. No, it's you fine. Do it. I can, say it I again. can just Sorry. pull out your audio on it. No, say thanks for listening. Say Sorry. thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I'm so sorry I ruined that. No, it's that. fine. <laughs> okay, I'm now going to stop. Oh, for the love of God and all that is holy, for Eru and all those guys, make sure this works.